chapter 13 of the spirit of the age or contemporary portraits by william hazlitt this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org chapter 13 francis jeffrey the quarterly review arose out of the edinburgh not as a corollary but in contradiction to it an article appeared in the latter on don pedro savalos which stung the tories to the quick by the free way in which it spoke of men and things and something must be done to check these escapades of the edinburgh it was not to be endured that the truth should out in this manner even occasionally and half in jest a startling shock was thus given to established prejudices the mask was taken off from grave hypocrisy and the most serious consequences were to be apprehended the persons who wrote in this review seemed to have their hands full of truths and now and then in a fit of spleen or gaiety let some of them fly and while this practice continued it was impossible to say that the monarchy or the hierarchy was safe some of the arrows glanced others might stick and in the end prove fatal it was not the principles of the edinburgh review but the spirit that was looked at with jealousy and alarm the principles were by no means decidedly hostile to existing institutions but the spirit was that of fair and free discussion a field was open to argument and wit every question was tried upon its own ostensible merits and there was no foul play the tone was that of a studied impartiality which many called trimming or of a sceptical indifference this tone of impartiality and indifference however did not at all suit those who profited or existed by abuses who breathed the very air of corruption they know well enough that those who are not for them are against them they wanted a publication impervious alike to truth and candor that hoodwinked itself should lead public opinion blindfold that should stick at nothing to serve the turn of a party that should be the exclusive organ of prejudice the sordid tool of power that should go the whole length of want of principle in palliating every dishonest measure of want of decency in defaming every honest man that should prejudge every question traduce every opponent that should give no quarter to fair inquiry or liberal sentiment that should be ugly all over with hypocrisy and present one foul blotch of servility intolerance falsehood spite and ill manners the quarterly review was accordingly set up sithence no fairy lights no quickening ray nor stir of pulse nor object to entice abroad the spirits but the cloistered heart sits squat at home like pagod in a niche obscure this event was accordingly hailed and the omen has been fulfilled 
as a great relief to all those of his majesty's subjects who are firmly convinced that the only way of having things remain exactly as they are is to put a stop to all inquiries whether they are right or wrong and that if you cannot answer a man's argument you may at least try to take away his character we do not implicitly bow to the political opinions nor to the critical decisions of the edinburgh review but we must do justice to the talent with which they are supported and to the tone of manly explicitness in which they are delivered footnote the style of philosophical criticism which has been the boast of the edinburgh review was first introduced into the monthly review about the year seventeen ninety six in a series of articles by mr william taylor of norwich End of footnote. they are eminently characteristic of the spirit of the age as it is the express object of the quarterly review to discountenance and extinguish that spirit both in theory and practice the edinburgh review stands upon the ground of opinion it asserts the supremacy of intellect the preeminence it claims is from an acknowledged superiority of talent and information and literary attainment and it does not build one tittle of its influence on ignorance or prejudice or authority or personal malevolence it takes up a question and argues it pro and con with great knowledge and boldness and skill it points out an absurdity and runs it down fairly and according to the evidence adduced in the former case its conclusions may be wrong there may be a bias in the mind of the writer but he states the arguments and circumstances on both sides from which a judgment is to be formed it is not his cue he has neither the effrontery nor the meanness to falsify facts or to suppress objections in the latter case or where a vein of sarcasm or irony is resorted to the ridicule is not barbed by some allusion false or true to private history the object of it has brought the infliction on himself by some literary folly or political delinquency which is referred to as the understood and justifiable provocation instead of being held up to scorn as a knave for not being a tool or as a blockhead for thinking for himself in the edinburgh review the talents of those on the opposite side are always extolled pleno ore in the quarterly review they are denied altogether and the justice that is in this way withheld from them is compensated by a proportionable supply of personal abuse a man of genius who is a lord and who publishes with mr murray may now and then stand as good a chance as a lord who is not a man of genius and who publishes with Monsieur's longman but this is the utmost extent of the impartiality of the quarterly from its account you would take lord byron and mr stuart rose for two very petty poets but mr moore's magdalen muse is sent to bridewell without mercy to beat hemp in silk stockings in the quarterly nothing is regarded but the political creed or external circumstances of the writer 
In the Edinburgh nothing is ever averted to but his literary merits. Or if there is a bias of any kind, it arises from an affectation of magnanimity and candor in giving heaped measure to those on the aristocratic side in politics and being critically severe on others. Thus Sir Walter Scott is lauded to the skies for his romantic powers without any allusion to his political demerits as if this would be compromising the dignity of genius and of criticism by the introduction of party spirit while lord byron is called to a grave moral reckoning there is however little of the cant of morality in the edinburgh review and it is quite free from that of religion it keeps to its province which is that of criticism or to the discussion of debatable topics and acquits itself in both with force and spirit this is the natural consequence of the composition of the two reviews the one appeals with confidence to its own intellectual resources to the variety of its topics to its very character and existence as a literary journal which depend on its setting up no pretensions but those which it can make good by the talent and ingenuity it can bring to bear upon them it therefore meets every question whether of a lighter or a graver cast on its own grounds the other blinks every question for it has no confidence but in the powers that be shuts itself up in the impregnable fastness of authority or make some paltry cowardly attack under cover of anonymous criticism on individuals or dispenses its award of merit entirely according to the rank or party of the writer the faults of the edinburgh review arise out of the very consciousness of critical and logical power in political questions it relies too little on the broad basis of liberty and humanity enters too much into mere dry formalities deals too often in moot points and descends too readily to a sort of special pleading in defence of home truths and natural feelings in matters of taste and criticism its tone is sometimes apt to be supercilious and cavalier from its habitual faculty of analyzing defects and beauties according to given principles from its quickness in deciding from its facility in illustrating its views in this latter department it has been guilty of some capital oversights the chief was in its treatment of the lyrical ballads at their first appearance not in its ridicule of their puerilities but in its denial of their beauties because they were included in no school because they were reducible to no previous standard or theory of poetical excellence for this however considerable reparation has been made by the prompt and liberal spirit that has been shown in bringing forward other examples of poetical genius its capital sin in a doctrinal point of view has been we shrewdly suspect in the uniform and unqualified encouragement it has bestowed on mr malthus's system we do not mean that the edinburgh review was to join in the general hue and cry that was raised against this writer 
but while it asserted the soundness of many of his arguments and yielded its assent to the truths he has divulged it need not have screened his errors on this subject alone we think the quarterly has the advantage of it but as the quarterly review is a mere mass and tissue of prejudices on all subjects it is the foible of the edinburgh review to affect a somewhat fastidious air of superiority over prejudices of all kinds and a determination not to indulge in any of the amiable weaknesses of our nature except as it can give a reason for the faith that is in it luckily it is seldom reduced to this alternative reasons are with it as plenty as blackberries mr jeffrey is the editor of the edinburgh review and is understood to have contributed nearly a fourth part of the articles from its commencement no man is better qualified for this situation nor indeed so much so he is certainly a person in advance of the age and yet perfectly fitted both from knowledge and habits of mind to put a curb upon its rash and headlong spirit he is thoroughly acquainted with the progress and pretensions of modern literature and philosophy and to this he adds the natural acuteness and discrimination of the logician with the habitual caution and coolness of his profession if the edinburgh review may be considered as the organ of or at all pledged to a party that party is at least a respectable one and is placed in the middle of two extremes the editor is bound to lend a patient hearing to the most paradoxical opinions and extravagant theories which have resulted in our times from the infinite agitation of wit but he is disposed to qualify them by a number of practical objections of speculative doubts of checks and drawbacks arising out of actual circumstances and prevailing opinions or the frailties of human nature he has a great range of knowledge an incessant activity of mind but the suspension of his judgment the well-balanced moderation of his sentiments is a consequence of the very discursiveness of his reason what may be considered as a commonplace conclusion is often the result of a comprehensive view of all the circumstances of a case paradox violence nay even originality of conception is not seldom owing to our dwelling long and pertinaciously on some one part of a subject instead of attending to the whole mr jeffrey is neither a bigot nor an enthusiast he is not the dupe of the prejudices of others nor of his own he is not wedded to any dogma he is not long the sport of any whim before he can settle on any fond or fantastic opinion another starts up to match it like beads on sparkling wine a too restless display of talent a too distinguished statement of all that can be said for and against a question is perhaps the great fault that is to be attributed to him where there is so much power and prejudice to contend with on the opposite scale it may be thought that the balance of truth can hardly be held with a slack or an even hand 
and that the infusion of a little more visionary speculation or of a little more popular indignation into the great whig review would be an advantage both to itself and to the cause of freedom much of this effect is chargeable less on an epicurean levity of feeling or on party trammels than on real sanguineness of disposition and a certain fineness of professional tact our sprightly scotsman is not of a desponding and gloomy turn of mind he argues well for the future hopes of mankind from the smallest beginnings watches the slow gradual reluctant growth of liberal views and smiling sees the aloe of reform blossom at the end of a hundred years while the habitual subtlety of his mind makes him perceive decided advantages where vulgar ignorance or passion sees only doubts and difficulties and a flaw in an adversary's argument stands him instead of the shout of a mob the votes of a majority or the fate of a pitched battle the editor is satisfied with his own conclusions and does not make himself uneasy about the fate of mankind the issue he thinks will verify his moderate and well-founded expectations we believe also that late events have given a more decided turn to mr jeffrey's mind and that he feels that as in the struggle between liberty and slavery the views of the one party have been laid bare with their success so the exertions of the other side should become more strenuous and a more positive stand be made against the avowed and appalling encroachments of priestcraft and arbitrary power the characteristics of mr jeffrey's general style as a writer correspond we think with what we have here stated as the characteristics of his mind he is a master of the foils he makes an exulting display of the dazzling fence of wit and argument his strength consists in great range of knowledge and equal familiarity with the principles and details of a subject and in a glancing brilliancy and rapidity of style indeed we doubt whether the brilliancy of his manner does not resolve itself into the rapidity the variety and aptness of his illustrations his pen is never at a loss never stands still and would dazzle for this reason alone like an eye that is ever in motion mr jeffrey is far from a flowery or affected writer he has few tropes or figures still less any odd startling thoughts or quaint innovations in expression but he has a constant supply of ingenious solutions and pertinent examples he never proses never grows dull never wears an argument to tatters and by the number the liveliness and facility of his transitions keeps up that appearance of vivacity of novel and sparkling effect for which others are too often indebted to singularity of combination or tinsel ornaments it may be discovered by a nice observer that mr jeffrey's style of composition is that of a person accustomed to public speaking there is no pause no meagerness no inanimateness but a flow a redundance and volubility like that of a stream or of a rolling stone the language is more copious than select 
and sometimes two or three words perform the office of one this copiousness and facility is perhaps an advantage in extempore speaking where to stop or break is allowed in the discourse and where any word or any number of words almost is better than coming to a dead stand but in written compositions it gives an air of either too much carelessness or too much labor mr jeffrey's excellence as a public speaker has betrayed him into this peculiarity he makes fewer blots in addressing an audience than any one we remember to have heard there is not a hair's breadth space between any two of his words nor is there a single expression either ill-chosen or out of its place he speaks without stopping to take breath with ease with point with elegance and without spinning the thread of his verbosity finer than the staple of his argument he may be said to weave words into any shape he pleases for use or ornament as the glass-blower moulds the vitreous fluid with his breath and his sentences shine like glass from their polished smoothness and are equally transparent his style of eloquence indeed is remarkable for neatness for correctness and epigrammatic point and he has applied this as a standard to his written compositions where the very same degree of correctness and precision produces from the contrast between writing and speaking an agreeable diffuseness freedom and animation whenever the scotch advocate has appeared at the bar of the english house of lords he has been admired by those who were in the habit of attending to speeches there as having the greatest fluency of language and the greatest subtlety of distinction of any one of the profession the law reporters were as little able to follow him from the extreme rapidity of his utterances as from the tenuity and effervescent nature of his reasoning mr jeffrey's conversation is equally lively various and instructive there is no subject on which he is not off fate no company in which he is not ready to scatter his pearls of sport whether it be politics or poetry or science or anecdote or wit or raillery he takes up his cue without effort without preparation and appears equally incapable of tiring himself or his hearers his only difficulty seems to be not to speak but to be silent there is a constitutional buoyancy and elasticity of mind about him that cannot subside into repose much less sink into dullness there may be more original talkers persons who occasionally surprise or interest you more few if any with a more uninterrupted flow of cheerfulness and animal spirits with a greater fund of information and with fewer specimens of the bathos in their conversation he is never absurd nor has he any favorite point which he is always bringing forward it cannot be denied that there is something bordering on petulance of manner but it is of that least offensive kind which may be accounted for from merit and from success and implies no exclusive pretensions nor the least particle of ill-will to others on the contrary mr jeffrey is profuse of his encomiums and admiration of others but still with a certain reservation of the right to differ or to blame 
he cannot rest on one side of a question he is obliged by a mercurial habit and disposition to vary his point of view if he is ever tedious it is from the excess of liveliness he oppresses from the sense of airy lightness he is always setting out on a fresh scent there are always relays of topics the hardness is put to and he rattles away as delightfully and as briskly as ever new causes are called he holds a brief in his hand for every possible question this is a fault mr jeffrey is not obtrusive is not impatient of opposition is not unwilling to be interrupted but what is said by another seems to make no impression on him he is bound to dispute to answer it as if he was in court or as if it were in a paltry debating society where young beginners are trying their hands this is not to maintain a character or for want of good nature it is a thoughtless habit he cannot help cross-examining a witness or stating the adverse view of a question he listens not to judge but to reply in consequence of this you can as little tell the impression your observations make on him as what weight to assign to his mr jeffrey shines in mixed company he is not good at a tete-a-tete you can only show your wisdom or your wit in general society but in private your follies or your weaknesses are not the least interesting topics and our critic has neither any of his own to confess nor does he take delight in hearing those of others indeed in scotland generally the display of personal character the indulging your whims and humours in the presence of a friend is not much encouraged everyone there is looked upon in the light of a machine or a collection of topics they turn you round like a cylinder to see what use they can make of you and drag you into a dispute with as little ceremony as they would drag out an article from an encyclopedia they criticize everything analyze everything argue upon everything dogmatize upon everything and the bundle of your habits feelings humours follies and pursuits is regarded by them no more than a bundle of old clothes they stop you in a sentiment by a question or a stare and cut you short in a narrative by the time of night the accomplished and ingenious person of whom we speak has been a little infected by the tone of his countrymen he is too didactic too pugnacious too full of electrical shocks too much like a voltaic battery and reposes too little on his own excellent good sense his own love of ease his cordial frankness of disposition and unaffected candor he ought to have belonged to us the severest of critics as he has been sometimes termed is the best-natured of men whatever there may be of wavering or indecision in mr jeffrey's reasoning or of harshness in his critical decisions in his disposition there is nothing but simplicity and kindness he is a person that no one knows without esteeming and who both in his public connections and private friendships shows the same manly uprightness and unbiased independence of spirit 
at a distance in his writings or even in his manner there may be something to excite a little uneasiness and apprehension in his conduct there is nothing to accept against he is a person of strict integrity himself without pretense or affectation and knows how to respect this quality in others without prudery or intolerance he can censure a friend or a stranger and serve him effectually at the same time he expresses his disapprobation but not as an excuse for closing up the avenues of his liberality he is a scotchman without one particle of hypocrisy of cant of servility or selfishness in his composition he has not been spoiled by fortune has not been tempted by power is firm without violence friendly without weakness a critic and even-tempered a causist and an honest man and amidst the toils of his profession and the distractions of the world retains the gaiety the unpretending carelessness and simplicity of youth mr jeffrey in his person is slight with a countenance of much expression and a voice of great flexibility and acuteness of tone End of chapter thirteen